Do you have unrealistic portfolio return expectations? We're going to talk about it in this episode with Tyler Emmerich, Certified Financial Planner, to explore that disconnect between an individual investor's portfolio return expectations and then also what historical performance tells us and how, if the capital market assumptions of the big institutional investors are right, individual investors could be setting themselves up for disappointment. We're going to break it all down today. Tyler's going to set us up real nicely. Coming up next, stay tuned. This is the Retire Smarter Podcast. Hey, welcome to Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here with Tyler Emmerich, as I mentioned, a certified financial planner at True Wealth Design. Check us out at truewealthdesign.com. Tyler, it is great to be with you on today's episode. My friend, what is going on in your world? Yeah, happy to be here, Walt. I'm uh, I'm doing all right, hanging in there. Um, kind of riding a little bit of a high from the weekend. We had a uh, my wife had a very important birthday uh, this past weekend, um, and we were able to have some of our longtime friends in town um, and enjoy some good weather um, and some good conversation and hang out. So um, it was a really good weekend uh, for good us. Good on you for keeping that very vague and not giving <laughs> too many. I was getting nervous for you as you were going down that road a little bit. Yes. No, I prepped it. I did. I did. Actually, I originally was going to just throw it out and say say the age and uh, you know kind of go into it but I th- I thought better of it. So. I would have had to trigger the egghead alert on you but for different reasons <laughs> than we usually yes. play the egghead alert. Well she listens and she probably would have gave me a swift uh, hit to the back of the head if she would have right heard upside it. But, the uh, egghead. Yes, yeah, exactly. I would have got it. <laughs> but no, good it. weekend. Good weekend. How about you, man? Glad to hear that. Uh, same here. We're going to get a little beach time in uh, leaving shortly after we finish today's uh, podcast. Not too long. So nice. get a little sun on the skin and uh, come back refreshed for our next episode. So that should be a lot hey, of Hey, you fun. know, uh, up here in good old Cleveland, uh, really close to us here, our home office in Akron, we got a little beach too right up here on the Great Lakes that uh, maybe not quite to the uh, degree that you're going to have in front of you and you're going to get to enjoy, but certainly got our own little beach on the lakefront too. Well, I know you are not very far from Cedar Point, and it's been a dream of yeah. mine since I was like a little kid to go to Cedar Point and ride, go to the amusement park and ride all the rides and stuff like that. So one of these days, I'm still going to make it out to Cedar Point. Oh, you absolutely should. Yeah, it's a good time. And they sell Dippin' Dots, too. It's like the best ice cream ever. So <laughs> <laughs> You know you can get Dippin' Dots at other places, right? Not just I, I, the amusement I, I park. I do. I do. It's like it a big thing in the family. Though, right? Getting Dippin' yeah. Dots at the amusement park, it kind of goes hand in hand. It is. I get crack jokes on uh, quite a bit from, you know, some select family members when we are at the theme parks or wherever that they have them. But uh, yeah, uh, Dippin' Dots, um, yeah, they get There is something time. about them that just makes them, makes them <laughs> extra special. I don't know what it is. Well, it's really funny, not to get too far off track, but, uh, you know, I grew up in North Carolina and every time uh, we went to the beach and then we eventually lived at the beach uh, when I was in high school, I would always see every summer Every other car had an Ohio license plate. I was like, just everyone from Ohio comes to the North Carolina beach for vacation, apparently. Vacation, Myrtle Beach, yep. And it was so funny. Everybody from North Carolina wanted, like at least kids that were my age, we all wanted to go to Cedar Point. So that was like the (laughs) trade it felt like of Ohio versus versus North Carolina. You guys come to the beach. We want to go to your amusement park. Cedar Point, yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's get into our main topic today and uh, dive in here, Tyler. We set it up, unrealistic 
portfolio return expectations. We want our listeners to ask themselves that question, and it's kind of a kind of a deep topic because it's it involves institutional investors and the mm-hmm. what they're setting for us, historical returns, lots of good stuff here. It is. And I think as I thought about like the setup for today's podcast and what we were going to talk about, you know, a couple of things came to mind. And, and, and the first thing is, is just really, you know, that relationship between high expectations and what really actually happens in reality. I don't know if you read this book, but uh, Charles Dickinson, The Great Expectations, was that on your high school uh, reading list at I some point in time? I never read Great Expectations. For whatever reason, that one didn't make it through our curriculum. Yeah, I don't know if it still is, um, or maybe I was just a one-off from ours. But maybe you know, we had to do the, Beowulf instead, or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, the story was about Pip, and uh, Pip inherited quite a bit of money from this secret benefactor. And as you could imagine, when he got this money, I mean, his views of his fortune, a stepping stone to get the get the girl of his dreams, live this life that he wanted. And to nobody's surprise, well, it didn't make him happy and he eventually lost everything, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's a, like a, a story uh, that's been told in many forms over time now, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's like a 500 page reminder of like why you shouldn't bother playing the lottery, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your life will basically but, fall apart based on the track record. Of previous don't do winners. it. Yeah. yeah. High expectations. Reality doesn't quite live up to it. And of well, course, there's like, a whole business lesson behind that, right? Like uh, under promise sure. over deliver versus the other way around, that kind of thing. Yeah, I did a couple searches on the internet, right? Trying to find and make a connection. I mean, I thought uh, the Charles Dickinson came to mind for me, but I got to bring up too, and I think I mentioned this to you be- before we started here, but there was a, I did a search, right? Expectations versus reality. And this meme came up and it just cracked me up. Like it's just two pictures right next to each other. And at the top, it says New Year's resolution, right? And on the left-hand side, it's got this couple running down a track, expectation, they're having a good time, they're working out. And then, of course, right next to it, it's got this guy laying on a couch, Cheetos popping out of his mouth saying, reality. <laughs> and just, nice. hey, all the good intentions in the world, New Year's resolution, good exercise, but at, at what really happens. So I think when you when you think about that, and that happens so often to us, we, we see that in our portfolio and our return expectations as well. I mean, I was just sitting down with an individual over the past few weeks and we were talking about just you know the portfolio and the performance and he came out and just said hey i i really just really would like to see about an eight to fifteen percent growth uh, over the next few years when i hear something like that i mean well first off it's not uncommon well at, at all um that individuals expect you know returns like that uh from from their portfolio uh, a company called Net Texas and I might be mispronouncing that a little bit but they surveyed um a bunch of individual investors you know talking to them about returns and return expectations and the survey came back that the investors expected a little over a 15% uh, annualized return from their portfolio that's about twice hmm. what financial professionals uh, expect uh, from the portfolio. So wildly different um, and a huge disconnect there. Yeah, and we're not and talking like a 1% difference here in expectations. That's double no, more than not- not at all. And, and, and the author of the, uh, the survey who put it together, I mean, even mentioned how, you know, most individual investors, I mean, there's a, a very high percentage of them, well over 90% or so don't even do as well as like the market averages and, you know, tries to dive into this bias or this thought that, well, what is a reasonable return expectation? And he kind of attributed it to an, a number of words that, Hey, we've had a decade of really outsized 
investor returns or stock market returns. And, you know, a lot of those investors have been conditioned to just expect higher returns because they think that's the norm. And I would say this expectation isn't just in portfolio returns, I mean, or certain asset classes. Uh, you you got to be careful with real estate as well. I mean, the same individual that I was talking to has a, a very nice uh, real estate portfolio. And his comment was like, hey, I'm getting around five to 7% per year from from my real estate. Um, and you know when you try to unpack uh, real estate returns, I think there's a lot that goes into it. But what he was alluding to is, hey, I'm getting these rents um, and they're coming out to about that five to 7% return per year. But what he was really not alluding to or not including in his calculation that, well, none of his properties were uh, mark to market or trying to be sold. So he wouldn't have to realize any losses or anything like that due to, you know, the market downturn that we experienced last year. You know, you look at like a public real estate fund, we call those REITs. You know, Vanguard's got a very big one. It's VNQ. You know, last year that portfolio had a very similar positive rental income, but for the year, the particular investment was down, you know, a little over 25% in 2022. So not only can that disconnect happen with return expectations, but sometimes even with our own portfolios, understanding where your return's coming from and seeing the whole picture, uh, there can be that dislocation there. And we don't want to, we don't want to lose sight of that, right? Because in his situation, if he would have sold that real estate, they'd be interested to see if he would have had to mark those down, like a lot of those other investments do uh, when they mark to market each day. I definitely think about that a little bit from the terms of, uh, you know, just what you're exposed to in a certain period of life can lead you. I'm sure uh, Kevin would throw out exactly what kind of bias this is. Maybe it's just recency <laughs> bias. But, you know, like I graduated in uh, 2009. So 2008 okay. it happened kind of, you know, during my, my junior into senior year, going to the job market of 09. Tough time. Nobody's mm-hmm. hiring tough time totally shapes my first several years of work life and probably increased my work ethic and just how mm-hmm. like seriously I took my job and my career. I mean, I was a weirdo. I kind of already took it very seriously <laughs> as I worked like five jobs during college, but still helped <laughs> shape wow. all of that versus if I just rolled <laughs> out and been like, y'all are fighting for me to, to come work for your company. <laughs> Someone who what, maybe gets exposed yeah. to that at first, totally different expectations for many years, perhaps. Same thing with these investments, it sounds like. Sure, sure thing. Well, and I think when I, when I start these conversations, cause we have them all the time, um, it's, yeah, I really like to really paint that historical perspective, uh, for individuals because if your time horizon or what you're looking at is very short, we can really lose sight of that. So, you know, we take a look at the stock market, for example, and let's say we just go back over the last uh, roughly hundred years or so. Uh, the U.S. stock market has returned about 10% per year during that time. But what's fascinating to me is, okay, it's it's returned about 10% per year on average, but it's done it in an extremely volatile way. I mean, there's years that the market got upwards of 50% uh, positive return, and then there's years where it's lost 40%. That is some extreme volatility in a very large range as we start thinking about, well, portfolio values and your retirement savings and how much they can fluctuate on a year in and year out basis. And if you get down into the weeds a little bit in the last hundred years, if you try to piecemeal and pick out those years that the market did return close to the average, close to 10%, there is just six years of roughly the last hundred where the market actually returned close to 10% per year. All other years, it's been 
very different than that historical average, um, which I think just really brings home that point that the stock market can be extremely volatile um, from year to year. And it's very, very hard to predict what uh, the market's going to do in any given year. I think that's why uh, many uh, investment professionals and money managers you know, are so adamant that it's very difficult, almost impossible to time the market. Um, but what I do think is clear when we go back through the data is that staying invested um, is going to be the way to go. And the reason why we go on that is because if you look back over that last, say, last 100 years, stock market returns, 71 of those years, the stock market was positive. Um, so what that means is, is that more often than not, if you're staying invested and you're riding it out, you're going to come out ahead. There's no guarantee, of course, uh, but you can really get yourself into trouble if you start to time it. You know, I had a family that uh, I started working with a little over a year ago now, and uh, they had actually worked with a financial advisor for a number of years. And uh, during 2020 and 2021, with all the COVID concerns and the market volatility, their advisor actually moved them mostly to cash. And if we look back, we can clearly see how well the market did in 2020 and 2021. I mean, we're talking double digit returns in both years. And when you get into a situation like that, uh, I think it's very clear that just because you have a financial advisor doesn't mean that you're shielded from bad investment management. I think our job as investment professionals is really to try to take the emotion out of investing and not get caught up in it. But if us as advisors do not have a solid process and rules set with the way we develop portfolios and manage them, then we can get into just as much trouble as individual investors and that emotion can take over. You know, in that scenario, I bet their advisor, it was very clear to him at the time, like, wow, the stock market's going to do terrible. Look what's happened with COVID. The economy shut down. And that was a wrong assumption. And if you have an advisor that can have that much leeway and make those assumptions and make those changes where they pull you out of the market or try to put you all in, that's getting into that timing situation. And very, very rarely, uh, if not at all, does the data show that that comes out successful. And it's extremely, extremely hard to do. So if you do work with a professional, I, I think it's extremely important that if you haven't asked them, you know, what is your investing process? What rules do you use when you're managing my portfolio to make sure that you know we don't get too far making a bet one way or the other? Um, because if that bet is wrong, that can really come back to bite you. It's great to illustrate that, too, because yeah. so much focus, I think, in the financial world, especially when it comes to retirement, does seem to be on the other end of the spectrum. Like, make sure you're not mm -hmm. taking too much risk in the market. But, boy, you can also take too much risk being out of the market in, yeah. in some of these examples. Well, so. how easy does it sound if your advisor comes to you, hey, let's just sit on the sidelines for a minute, right? I Ooh, mean, okay, oh, it's too much good. going on, yeah. right? And it, I, it just time and time again, it, the data shows that that is just too, too hard to do. I mean, even from our own perspective with True Wealth Design and our management, I mean, we look back on 2022, you know, we didn't love the return expectations in the bond market. But or we have a process in place that says, well, hey, we can only take our bond exposure down 
to a certain minimum level before our rules step in and say, hey, you can't just completely eliminate bonds from a portfolio because that goes against everything um, that uh, we invest in our principles when we go and develop a portfolio. And all the data shows that you don't want to overextend yourself and make those large bets and get yourself into a tough situation. So we run into it all the time as well. And um, we've done a lot to put rules and processes in place to eliminate a lot of that guessing and not get ourselves in that situation. So I think that's important. If you haven't had that conversation with your advisor, you absolutely need need to understand that um, to kind of avoid some of those pitfalls. Well, there's certainly the looking back at the historical perspectives and then the other side of the coin looking ahead, right? It is, right. And and as you look ahead, I mean, there is no crystal ball. I mean, boy, if you did, we'd all be rich. Um, so there is no crystal ball and forecasts aren't, aren't perfect. But if we look at some of the largest uh, institutional investors and what their return expectations are, I mean, one of the largest investment money managers in our industry is BlackRock. I'm sure many of the listeners uh, have heard the name before, maybe have had some investments uh, through BlackRock. I mean, they're managing a little over eight and a half trillion uh, in assets assets for um, institutions, families, investors, and so on and so forth. So all these companies such as BlackRock, um, JP Morgan Chase, they put out um, what they call capital market assumptions, which is their best guess as to what should we expect over the next five years or next 10 years from a return standpoint in each of these different markets. So if you look on BlackRock's website, you go to their capital markets expectations and you go to US large cap, their return expectations uh, over the next five years is for the US stock market large cap uh, to average a little over seven and a half percent per year which you know historical is at 10. So I mean we're definitely below that at least in their eyes well as they kind of look at that. So you expand out your picture a little bit. I mean, the U.S. market isn't the only one to look at. And we go and say, well, what are the return expectations for international companies or emerging market countries? And I think the return expectations were not. I think the return expectations are a bit higher. Uh, when you look at BlackRock's forecasts, they're expecting somewhere you know, between 10 and 11%, depending on the country, um, over the next five years, annual average return. So that's what, almost 3% higher uh, than what the U.S. market, their expectations return are for them. Is uh, that surprising to you? I think it, well, I, uh, not necessarily to me, but I think it's a surprising to a lot of individual investors or a lot of individual, uh, or not just individual investors, but a lot of investors in, in general. You know, you look back over the last decade and the U.S. market has been the clear winner. Um, it's outperformed all these other countries and it's done very, very well. And kind of like what you alluded to when you came out of college after 2008 and, you know, the job market was tough and that impacted and, and reflected on you and, and your work ethic. Well, from an investor, standpoint, you go through a, a decade of outperformance in the U.S. market, it, that's going to affect your biases a little bit if you haven't studied and gone back a little further. Because if you would, you know, the, the decade prior, uh, you know, 2000 to 2009, we consider that the lost decade where, you know, the U.S. stock market had very poor performance and international and emerging markets outperformed by a significant margin. So, you know, those time periods and not losing sight of perspective 
you know, will really help you as you're kind of making these decisions and looking at your portfolio and trying to decide, well, where's my risk at and what should my return expectations be? So if we kind of circle back to that conversation I had where the individual said, hey, you know, I'd like to get somewhere in the order of eight uh, to 15% return uh, over the next few years. Well, you know, historically speaking, that's above the historical stock market average of 10. And when we add in the volatility that we historically experience in the stock market, that becomes a very, very tall task. And then we kind of look at forward return expectations being even lower. And, you know, if we have a bias towards US, then it's, well, seven and a half percent that falls way short um, of what his expectations are. So, you know, I think, you know, taking a look at the historical and forward looking projections and kind of developing some type of reference point um, to kind of help make those uh, expectations or bring them to light is really helpful and can be impactful as you're kind of having these conversations. So that's what I, I try to do. Right. And I, I don't know what, where they, the return expectations come from, because I think depending on who you're talking to, they can be vastly different. I mean, I think back to even my own situation, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to my buddy and he brought up just how well he had done in Tesla stock. I mean, Tesla was up, I don't know, somewhere around like 140 or something, 140% year to date. I mean, that sounds pretty darn good, right? I mean, sign me up for that. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you you look at Tesla, for example, and you just go back and look at last year in 2022. I mean, Tesla was down 65%. You know, so for an individual that's held Tesla stock for the last year, yeah, they're up 44% year to date. But going back just over the last 12 months, their actual returns still negative. I mean, they're down a couple percent in aggregate, even with the big uptick this year. I mean, you look at just an MSCI All Country World Index, which is, you know, global market uh, performance is up about 15% during that same time period. So it goes back to that old adage, right? Over 90% of individual investors don't even beat the market. So you could even have a story where you're you're, you're maybe bragging a little bit and being happy, but if you didn't time it perfect, well, it's it's not going to really work out as well as what they might be saying, or maybe they're not telling the whole story. Yeah, I, I can actually raise my hand on this exact <laughs> issue, Come on this on, exact well, thing that you just no mentioned. Way. No, no, no. It's it's actually really uh, really funny that you mentioned this. So um, we have an account. It's like an old. I don't know. I think it's a Roth IRA. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's just something mm-hmm. that my wife had that then, or maybe it was an old work account or something. It's only got like $2,000 in it okay. or something like that. So it's not like our main where we're, and we're not currently contributing to it, but it's kind of locked in where it is. I don't know. It's just one of those things. I'm the perfect mm-hmm. case study. I need to roll that into something <laughs> or do something with yeah, it. Right? Yeah. But anyway, I was like, all right, well, this thing's not doing anything. So, and it's not, you know, going to be generating long term dividend income mm-hmm. off of this. So I was like, oh, I'll just take a flyer, just throw it into some Tesla stock just in case Tesla you know, <laughs> goes through the roof. And then Tesla tanked. It went down 65%, <laughs> as you just mentioned. But I was at least like, all right, well, I'm not going to sell it at a loss. I'll just hang on. There. I know it'll come back eventually. We'll just let it hang out. And oh, so it was you a got fun a few ride biases in there. <laughs> oh, we could we could talk through all those decision makings a little oh, bit. But man. that's funny. It was really you're just making me chuckle because I'm like, yeah, uh, I did that. Oh, it's the same stock. Yeah, sure thing. <laughs> well, it's easy to lose perspective, isn't it? I mean, I I, I feel is. like it can be, especially when you can kind of pick and choose particular time periods to make things look maybe even a little bit better than they is or justify 
the investment to yourself, right? Yeah. Um, when 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 some of that happens for for the podcast, uh, you know, I did, uh, when I was again prepping for it and kind of thinking through what we wanted to talk about today, I pulled up our hobby accounts. So we have you know a little over five million of what we call hobby accounts for our families, where you know they we hold some stocks for individuals and maybe they make a couple of trades in there and you know they kind of manage it themselves. So not an insignificant amount of money, and it's over five million. And there's a number of different accounts in there. But I just pulled back the three-year returns of those accounts, and they're a little under 3%. You know, and I compared it to the benchmark, just the Russell 3000 benchmark, total stock market benchmark, was up almost 14%. So there's about a 10% difference in the performance of those accounts versus just buying an individual index in the Russell 3000. So it's fascinating to kind of see how all that trading or that individual stock risk and things like that might not work out all the time or be as a, a good investments as what they think. And we, we run into it with crypto. I mean, in 2020 and the, the run up that crypto had, you can very similar to Tesla, you know, see the fall that it had in 2022 where crypto was down 65% and then it's up, you know, about 76% this year. And when I say crypto, I'm just saying Bitcoin, but you know, we get those questions quite a bit and they've settled down over the last, you know, 18 months, but boy, was it a pretty hot topic, you know, asking about crypto and some of the returns. And I think understanding that volatility and understanding the risk there uh, is extremely important. The more I've tried to like manage my own stuff and be more active with it to be more exciting or something like that, you know, and, and try to do some of these things, the more I'm like, yeah, I just take boring and predictable. Can can I get yeah. some more of that, please? <laughs> well, I agree. Well, and the to do's, right? I, as I think about like, well, what what is a better way or, or what way do we kind of think is a better approach? Well, I think really... You know, taking a step back and understanding like, well, what am I trying to accomplish from a financial standpoint? What are my goals? What do I want to do with this money? And really project it out and say, well, what rate of return do I need to get to, on my money to accomplish those goals is the best starting point. Um, and then what you can do is you can kind of back into your portfolio from there. You can say, well, if this is the rate of return that I need to get on my money to make everything work, why don't I construct a portfolio that has historically performed and met that return expectation, right? And then, you know, create a diversified portfolio that will be able to meet that return with the least amount of risk possible, right? To smooth out your ride and eliminate some of that volatility. And then of course, once you've got that set, now it's taking a look at your benchmarks and monitoring that portfolio and, and making sure that it is performing the way that you're expecting and you're rebalancing it and you're doing all the good things that you should do uh, as a steward of your money, kind of managing that portfolio going forward. And, you know, if you don't feel you have the time or, you know, want to be getting into doing that, well, I think that's where, you know, investment professionals such as ourselves, you know, come in and that's what we do for the families that we work with. It sounds like um, our listeners and probably myself need to be picking up the phone and calling True Wealth Design, uh, so we can kind of work at, work through some of this, uh, you know, th- this Tesla problem. We'll call it on, on the, <laughs> the Tesla today. problem. I like that. <laughs> Having to shine the light a little bit back to my own situation on this one. So, sure, really helpful breakdown. Thank you for all of this today, Tyler. And uh, it does bring up the point. If you want to talk a little bit about your situation, are your expectations? That was the question at the top. 
Do you have unrealistic portfolio return expectations? We uncovered some of the reasons why that may be the case. If that happens to be you, don't hesitate to reach out. Talk to Tyler, Kevin, and the great team at True Wealth Design about your portfolio, about your financial life, and what's going on. Uh, You can actually have a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the team to see if you'd be a good fit and where you might be able to be helped out. All you have to do to set that up is go to truewealthdesign.com and click the Are We Right For You button. That's it. Go to truewealthdesign.com. Dot com and click that button. You can also call the number 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526 and have a chat that way as well. Tyler, thanks for all your great thoughts on today's episode. You can go back to looking at memes now. and uh, do. We'll look forward to another good episode with you soon. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Thanks so much. That's Tyler Emmerich, Certified Financial Planner. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. This was a lot of fun. We'll see you next time on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.